little different today on a Wednesday. I'm going to take a look at something that's happening historically in basketball uh, that just hasn't, we haven't had this kind of run before, but actually why it doesn't work. Mark Wahlberg on a new movie coming out, his career. I ask him about fear. It doesn't go well. And life advice. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life they taught me to want they taught me the taste of anticipation there's no wrong way to eat a french fry from mcdonald's unless you're eating my french fries get your favorite mcdonald's fries today i've talked about usage rate before on the show and I was working on something here and it's kind of a theory and I think it's been proven and it's a little nerdy, but I want to get into it because I think it's actually very important with what we're seeing uh, in today's version of the NBA, where the best player during the regular season is getting the ball more than we've ever seen at any point in the history of this game. Now, just to remind everybody without getting into all the math of what usage rate basically is, it's a player's field goal attempts, the free throw attempts, their turnovers, the team's total minutes, and then you divide that by the team's attempts and all these different things and team turnovers and the players' minutes into that. So basically, Russell Westbrook in his triple-double season is the highest usage rate we've ever seen in the history of the NBA because if you watch those games, he had the ball in his hands as much as any player we've ever seen. All right, So I think it's pretty simple, and I'm going to run through some of these players. Now, what I mean by what it's doing to today's game which I think sometimes, too, with with a force of analytics behind it, because I've also said this, I don't think there's ever been a bigger gap between what we see in the regular season, the regular season version of basketball, and the playoff version of basketball. But it's a pretty simple concept, right? Hey, this guy's the best player. Let's make sure he has the ball in his hands the entire time. Um, I haven't always loved the Harden stuff, but at the same time, he's a, ter- he's a terrific shooter. He's a really great passer. Um, you have to defend him a certain way. He was great on those lobs when when they would play with a big, when they were five out. He was tough to deal with because he's getting to the free throw line a ton. So I think if you're Daryl Morey in that front office, you're going, well, why would we be running different stuff where he doesn't have the ball in his hands? Uh, I think at the playoffs, it becomes a problem because I also think as we go through some of these numbers, when you're very predictable as a team offensively, it's just easier to defend because you become easier to defend when you're playing each other maybe four to seven games in a playoff series. Now, let's look at what we've had happening here now recently. If you go through the last 10 years, 12 of the top 20 usage rates in NBA history have happened in just the last 10 years. Only two of the top 30 individual usage rate seasons uh, have not been in the last 20 years. The only 90 season that I could find, I had to go all the way down to Michael Jordan in 92, 93, and his usage rate, not the highest for him, but the only actual one that registered was the 40th highest usage rate. So the highest usage rate from a 90s, the decade from 90s basketball player 
was MJ, and that ranks 40th all time. We've had 10 top 20s in just the last five years. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, what does it mean for playoff success? Because if my theory is that I think that you can play this way in the regular season, put up huge numbers, get a couple MVPs out of this deal, uh, I don't know that it's actually turned out to equal any kind of playoff success. And it's actually maybe a warning for one team. It could have been two, but we had a trade. All right, so let's run through it. The top usage rate season in NBA history is Westbrook in 16-17. They lost in five games in the first round. Harden, so this is one through 20. Harden, 18-19, they lost in the second round to Golden State. Kobe, 05-06, they lost in the first round to Phoenix. Westbrook, 14-15. and 15. Remember, KD only played 27 games that season. They didn't even make the playoffs. Michael Jordan, 86-87, first round sweep. Iverson, 01-02, lost in the first round. Giannis, 19-20, lost in the second round. Luka, 19-20, lost in the first round. Embiid, 21-22 season, so an active season here. Uh, we obviously don't know what they're going to do in the playoffs, but pre-Harden, as great as Embiid is, as much as I love watching this guy and that he may win an MVP that he's certainly deserving of, it wouldn't really mean much historically for playoff success. You wouldn't bet on that. DeMarcus Cousins follows him in 16 and 17 with a high usage rate season. Um, he got traded that year and both of his teams missed the playoffs. Harden, 2019 to 20. They lost in the second round to the Lakers in five games. Dwayne Wade, 2008, 2009, they lost in the first round. Jermaine O'Neal, 2004, 05, lost in the second round. Harden, 17, 18, Western Conference Finals. That's when they lost in seven games to Golden State. Michael Jordan, 2001, 2002, missed the playoffs. Luka, 2020, 21, another first round loss. Those are those Clippers series. Iverson, this is the only one that made it to the finals. The 2001 season where they lost to the Lakers in the finals. Luka, 21-22, that's his active season right now. Iverson, 2005-2006, missed the playoffs. Kobe in 11-12, second round. So we have 20 seasons, two are active, Embiid and Doncic now. Seven first-round exits, five second-round exits, one Western Conference Finals, and one NBA Finals without Iverson. There's no real debate on this. It's a pretty damning trend. And it's something that we're seeing more often. Players having the ball in their hands more often during the regular season than at any other point. And there is nothing historically that tells you that this works out. The overall playoff record for these teams is 64 and 78. Now, you could argue, well, wait, they have high usage rates on these teams because the teams weren't that good. So what else were they going to do? Um, that's, that's true in some cases, but it's certainly not true for every one of these 20 teams that we had. Uh, I just, I don't understand if if you watch one person have the ball a historic level of time, that just becomes easier to defend. I don't know that anybody would playing against it would argue. Like, yes, this player's great, but if I know that he's the primary all the time and there's not a ton of ball movement, it's just somebody at the top deciding what they're going to do the entire time, then we can all shade towards that person because their tendency is that they've been playing this way for six months the teammates have been playing this way for six months, and then to all of a sudden have ball movement and people cutting like crazy, and now more people are taking shots in tighter spots, bigger pressure games, that doesn't really make a lot of sense if we didn't ask you to do that for six months. Let's take this further. Now, I also think historically we really dump on previous generations, but some of it's understood. I don't always have a perfect answer for how we should deal with historic numbers compared to 
the evolution of a player today. Uh, many times I've argued with people or even players themselves that played in those eras about what today's game is versus the time that they played because basketball players are very protective. I think all people are, but basketball players to an extreme that doesn't really make any sense because the evolution of all athletes is proving that people are just better. We keep playing these sports. They get better at doing it. The shot making alone in today's game is absurd. But I'll also defend a previous generation if you want to go way back decades and say, okay, well, yes, People didn't make a lot of shots, and that led to a lot of rebounds. I mean, some of the numbers, right? Some of the numbers when you go back are nuts. The rebounding numbers are crazy. You're like, how did Wilt and Bill Russell average 23 rebounds a game for the playoffs? Like, how did that happen? Like, well, people brought the ball up. They played at a really fast pace, and they took a lot of shots, and they weren't that great at making them. I mean, Bob Cousy gets dumped on all the time because he never cracked 40%. I think he's like in the 30s for his entire career. I looked at it even further. If you... (laughs) If you go back and look at the field goal percentage leaders historically year by year, the first NBA season we had somebody lead the league at over 50% shooting was Wilt Chamberlain in 60-61. I mean, hell, there was a season in the 40s where the leading shooter in the league, the highest field goal percentage in the league was just under 35%. If you go look at 1969, and I'm just kind of picking out different stuff, the player who finished 10th in field goal percentage in 1969 shot it at 44%. If you looked at that today, um, LaMarcus Aldridge is that guy right now. 10th, he's at 56%. If you go through all the historical year-by-year stuff and look at the top 10, the 60s, 70s, it's littered with guys finishing in the top 10 that don't even crack 50%. That's impossible now. It doesn't happen. But it's just kind of the way that the game was played. So we can be both dismissive of it, but also understand it. And when I look at some of the single season numbers that we've had, all of these triple doubles, these guys putting up stuff we've never seen before. Remember, I was always joking how like I'd see some playoff number or, hey, this hasn't been done since Kareem Wilt and then it'd be Lou Dort. You're like, what the hell is going on here? I think you always have to look at it and go, okay, what was that era? Because when I look at the lack of success combined with the individual success, the statistical success, we could be years from looking back at what we're seeing right now going, Yeah, that's when they just put the ball in one guy's hand the entire time. The guy put up huge numbers, won awards, but they didn't really do anything in the playoffs. Two teams, two teams out of the 18 that I have that are not active seasons, only two got out of the second round. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now, by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand. It's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo knows it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about cheering louder, traveling further. It's about showing up no matter what. Because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. An ice-cold reward. Rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Uncharted comes out February 18th. Uh, some crazy backstory to this movie. And the star, Mark Wahlberg, joins us on the podcast. Before I get to all this stuff, kind of the obligatory Massachusetts to Massachusetts guy stuff. You know, you've been out in L.A. a long time. I just moved here a few years ago. It's been a pretty incredible run by these teams. Uh, how do you deal with that knowing that you just don't want to come straight out and tell what could potentially be a lot of your fans that you can't stand this run? <laughs> You know what? I was, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't mad that they won yesterday. Um, yeah. We've had, we've had an unprecedented run. I mean, I was sitting there with Mr. Kraft yesterday, and it was like it was so weird being at a Super Bowl and not having like the stress and the anxiety of you know the, the slight possibility that we may go home upset. But you know, I and I was, I was pulling for the Bengals. I, I love Joe Burrow, and I thought you know it's good for the league, it's good for small market teams. But I was, I wasn't mad about them. Winning. That was that was uh, certainly not the worst thing. Yeah, see, I thought that was the that was kind of the answer I'd expect. Is you know you just sit there and go, it's the Rams. Like you're gonna be yeah. that mad about it, right? Yeah, all right. All, I love it. There's a bunch of guys that are on the team that I'm friendly with too. So what happened? This movie is in development for 12 years, which yes. if you know anything about Hollywood, you're like, yeah, it's about right. It's about average. Um, the shift from this is that you originally were going to play the younger guy, and by the time this came to light you had to change how did this all go about it was crazy and i was, I was obviously i was blindsided by it a little bit i was just you know not expecting that i figured i had got a couple more good rounds left in me but i get the call I, originally we were supposed to do it right after the fighter david or russell and i we uh we had pitched an idea at sony so they were gung-ho about it he, he turned in the script that they didn't want to make so various directors came on board and i was always kind of loosely attached and then I get the phone call that uh, they're going to make the movie. So I'm like, oh, cool. This is great. I'm like, who's the guy? It was the other guy. And I figured, you know, maybe it was be Jack Nicholson or maybe get De Niro, who was originally attached when I was there. And they said, Tom Holland. I was like, Tom, I know Tom Holland. The kid, Tom Holland? <laughs> and then, of course, it dawned on me that, yes, I have now transitioned into and aged up into the older guy. But, uh, of course, right away, I thought, you know what, at an advantage for me because he's going to have to do most of the heavy lifting when it comes to the stunts. I'm the kind of slick, savvy old guy who's basically barking orders and getting everybody to do all the the the, the heavy lifting for him. You know, so so it was uh it was a plus for me. You know, Holland's had a nice little run here because um, you know originally I was thinking about how I wanted to map out the questions I'd be like, hey, did you pull him aside? Do you say hey? But you get a few Spider Mans under your belt. He, I, you know, I don't know. Can he? Can he even be talked to anymore at this point? Yeah, you know, he, I mean, he's he definitely he's he knows that he's successful, right? But he also knows that you know there's a there's a there's a long long road ahead of him, and he's doing things that have big IP attached, and he wants to do small smart acting pieces in between to kind of prove himself as a as a really strong dramatic actor and show his his talents on 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 that front but you know he yeah he he was definitely into the action because most of the spider-man stuff you know he's got the mask on it could be one of any three doubles that they have and he really wanted to show that it was him doing a lot of the stuff 
which I found to be annoying because it's Saturday and I'm like, I don't care what action looks like. You know, I'm worried about the chemistry and the humor and the energy in the scene. But um, but no, he's he's got his head on right for for that much success that early on. He's 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 in a good place. Yeah, I mean, that, I guess I probably should have phrased that differently. If not that he's he's kind of like a jerk or anything like that. No, 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 it's but, all good. But but it's it, there's got to be moments where you're kind of you know you've been around, you've done everything, you've done all these different genres, been incredibly successful. It's it's worked out. Where you look at him going, you know, it's not entirely the same blueprint. But I don't know. Yeah. It just must be a weird kind of almost observation from your success to now see somebody in this next generation kind of like, hey, all these things are going to be in front of you, man, and trying to keep this thing going. Yeah, yeah, and but we 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 had many many a talk about kind of the long haul, the marathon the marathon approach as opposed to, you know, so much success comes so quickly, and that really becomes hard to maintain that. Um, you know, you want a nice solid foundation underneath you, but he's he's definitely been very smart about the other choices that he makes, and he realizes that it's a it's an opportunity to have that platform being Spider Man. To give him these other jobs and and really showcase his talent. So I think he's gonna be I think he's gonna be good. He's uh you know he's grounded. He's also he's an athlete and you know he's so he's cocky and confident and he'll challenge you and he's the pesky. It's it's weird for me because I'm the youngest of nine. I was always the younger brother chomping at everybody, you know, and nipping at their heels and always trying to you know one up everybody. And so when he was doing that with me at first, I was like, wait wait a second, here, what's going on? And, you know, I was ready to kind of just be the mentor, but, but then I got it and it, we actually really utilized that in the movie and the chemistry is fantastic. But, you know, if you had a great script and lots of cool action and, you know, um, shots that you could put into the trailer that would intrigue people, but it's the chemistry that I think will, uh, will really set people, uh, the movie above, uh, you know, what, what normal expect. Yeah, people love the video game. I mean, obsessed with it. Uh, yeah, it's been loved. right, right. Incredibly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a bit like, you know, like the Marvel world's been around a lot longer, but when you are doing something creatively and taking this thing that people care about this much, uh, how concerned are you with that challenge and how it plays out eventually? Yeah, I mean, you definitely feel the responsibility to get it right. You've got the loyal diehard gamers who have... It's also because the the game itself is very cinematic. Um, it's great storytelling, but also the, the player is in control of the characters. So it's, it's theirs. They own it. And they, you know, they really feel like my God, if you don't get it right, it's going to be a problem. So we were definitely focused on making sure that we 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 did the characters justice uh, for the diehard gamers. And we also wanted to attract an audience that might have never played the game and doesn't know that it's a video game because it does lend itself to, to be adapted to the screen because it's so cinematic. Were you ever close and grabbing any of those Marvel bags? Because I, I, I'm worried about how many roles there are left for you. No, no, no. I Listen, I've always said... I was I was developing six billion dollar man for a while. That was as close as I could get to doing the superhero thing. Guy who still wears normal clothes and you know just can you know do all those wish fulfilling things that all of us would want to be able to do, running faster, jumping, and having these powers. But I don't think I could walk out of the trailer with the cape and the spandex suit on. It's not it's not really my my thing. So I don't know. Maybe if a cool villain or something came along, but I've never been kind of in pursuit of something like that. Although I was up for, and I I, I dodged the bullet uh, with uh, the role of Robin years ago when they did the Batman and Robin movie. Was that I Chris was O'Donnell? Involved. Yeah, Chris O'Donnell ended up playing the part. I was uh, I was in talks with Joel Schumacher for a little bit, uh, the filmmaker, but uh, didn't didn't pan out. So lucky uh, lucky for me. 
Okay, so there, there's no regret is what you're saying. So we can break that news now. No, no. You know, I've been fortunate in that, you know, I mean, there are some parts that I could have played that I was attached to at one point that ended up becoming hits, but nothing like it was like, oh my God, if I only I'd have done that uh, in my, my whole entire career would have been different. So I've, I've been fortunate in that way. Yeah, the reason I've, you know, I, I like it for a bunch of different reasons, but the the thing that I've always admired is you do try a bunch of different stuff. Like I've seen interviews when you did Ted and you were talking to your wife and then she would say like, if this doesn't work, you know, yeah. so what, what goes in, it's kind of like you were talking about with Holland, you're playing the long game here, but you probably have tried different things, not only just behind the scenes and everything else, but how do you kind of put it together? How do you figure out like, okay, I can try this, although this may be more risk here, but I know that I need to go back to some of the other stuff that everybody's expecting from me. Yeah, I mean, I've always been kind of put in a little box, whatever it was at the time, you know, before I did comedy, people like, oh, he can only do action or I actually started more with dramatic roles um, after Boogie Nights and Basketball Diaries and roles like that and fear. Um, so it was like I was just kind of challenging myself and, and trying to defy the expectations of, me, you know, so I always wanted to do something a little bit more challenging, a little bit more out of the box. And you know, always the complete opposite of the last thing I did as well. You know, if I'm doing an action movie for six months and I'm like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I'd rather go do a comedy and sit in a room and, you know, make myself and other people laugh. And then it's just about also kind of being older, embracing getting older, playing a dad, playing the elder statesman, all of those things. Uh, I, I always want to do something different. All right. So you brought up my favorite, one of my favorite movies ever, and that's Fear. Um, that's fear. You know, first date with somebody and they were like, he brought me to fear. And so oh, she really? was, yeah, she wasn't super into that choice, but, um, I read something. Do you Oddly know this? Enough, most, it's really, you know, that movie's more beloved by females than anybody else. I don't know. I guess I gave off a weird vibe. So I don't, yeah. I don't know to tell you, uh, <laughs> it was a long time ago, but she, uh, the, all right. So I, I don't know if this is true or not, if it just becomes one of those things that's on the internet. So then everybody just repeats it. It's over and over again, that the original script of fear was that your character, your, your father, your biological father was actually the dad, Reese Witherspoon's father who had assaulted your biological mother in college and that this was revenge. But that also meant that the revenge entailed you dating your half sister, which is why people were like, no, this doesn't make any sense. You have this look no. on your face that none of this is true. No, I never heard that before. No, the only, the only, the, 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 the interesting story about that whole process was uh, when I met the director, I had had, I'd made three movies, but none of them had come out. I did Renaissance Man, I did Basketball Diaries, and I did, uh, what was the other movie I did? They hadn't, they hadn't come out yet. And so um, when Jamie Foley had met Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, you know, they were talking to Leo about playing that part. He was like, this is not really for me, but you got to meet this guy, Mark Wahlberg. And he was like, who's that? And he's like, all right, well, just, you know, the rapper Marky Mark? He's like, yeah. He's like, him. And he's like, what? Are you out of your mind? I said, he's not an actor. He said, no, I made a movie with him. He's really good. You should check him out. So he, just out of curiosity, he set up a meeting with me. We hung out in New York. We hit it off. I mean, we must have spent like seven, eight hours together, met at a bar, hung out, had dinner. And by the time I got home, he called me and he was so apologetic. He was like, dude, I am so sorry. I want to be your friend. But I, I mean, I can't cast you in this movie. I said, dude, I only hung out with you because I really thought you were a funny, cool guy. I said, it's all good. Don't worry about it. You know, maybe we'll do something down the line. And then he felt bad. So he was like, he knew that there was these other parts of the kind of friends and, you know, the rest of the gang. So he was like, well, maybe I can give you one of these parts, but the parts are so small. Why don't you just 
we'll, we'll audition you playing the lead because we can actually see what you can do. And so I, uh, I went and auditioned for the part. And then he literally said to me in the room, he goes, I'm going to tell the studio, if they don't hire you to be the star of this movie, then I'm not doing it. And I was like, okay, I guess, you know, if you want to put yourself on a limb like that. And that's, that's how I got the part. But no, no connection to the dad being related and none of that stuff. Yeah. I don't know. That was, I was like, I could see how that was taken out of the script because it was kind of a weird comeback move. Be like, Hey, I'm also yeah. my half sister. Uh, yeah. Was it, was it difficult? I mean, at that point you're probably making money, so maybe it wasn't too expensive, but to get the Nicole forever tattoo removed. Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't a real tattoo. It wasn't a real tattoo. All right. I, my research sucks on that one too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had all my other tattoos removed. Yeah, you did. So uh, you've been asked about this, but I've never had the chance to sit down with you because with ESPN, it'd be so quick to turn and burn. Like you have this music part of you that's so successful, but it, it, I would imagine deep down, you're much happier doing what you are doing now. Cause like the, the return to music has never felt like something you want to do. Right? No, no. I mean, I, you know, I think initially when I started the music, I was like, all right, this is what I'm doing. And then I was getting approached by people to be in movies and and, and act, but I was just kind of like reluctant until I had that first experience with Penny Marshall and Danny DeVito. Once I had that experience, I was like, oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I I always had a love of cinema. My dad and I would go to the theater all the time. He'd introduce me to all the greats, Steve McQueen, Jimmy Cagney, John Garfield, Robert Ryan. I mean, I was a a student of cinema, even though I never thought I would have an opportunity to make movies. So once I found it, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I did continue to do music overseas and tour and stuff like that. So I could, you know, make money to kind of fund my, uh, my pursuit of a film career, but I never planned on going back and making another record, putting it out. You know, I know like even in sports, you know, we'll get typecast, but like, all right, Hey, he's good at this, but we never, ever want to see him do this. And then you're always feeling like the person that's in front of the camera, like now you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And then, you know, the people that would work behind the camera tell me, you know, we're actually right way more often. And that's why we are the way we are. And you've had so many roles in, on the producer side of things. Are you more understanding or do you find yourself at times typecasting somebody like, Hey, that person can't do that. Realizing that's what everybody was saying about you decades ago. I have. I mean, I certainly try to be more mindful of it because of my own experience and and how that affected me, although it made me just more and more motivated and determined to to prove people wrong. But the thing was that people, the the expectations of me at the time were so low that it was like if I did anything even remotely decent, then I was going to be applauded for it. And so, um, you know, that's kind of how I got my way in the door. But I, you know, I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, I remember when we were casting Entourage, it's like, you know, we, we brought in Kevin Dillon and we knew he was perfect for drama. And we thought him and Jeremy Piven were the only guys for those particular parts. And just because of that, the network insisted that we put him in the room or against like three or four other guys, which I felt uncomfortable about because, you know, we just knew that they were the guys, but they were able to still kind of show uh, that it, it, despite the fact that other guys were going up in the same role. So Boogie Nights though, that had to be the thing that totally changed it. Yeah. Yeah. That was, well, that was the time, you know, it was, it was also for me as an actor, it was like, all right, I read the script and I thought this could be great or this could be, you know, Showgirls had just come out and that was a disaster. 
It was kind of, you know, same kind of idea, pushing the envelope in a world that was a little risque. So when I, uh, when I decided to do it, I just felt like it was a real opportunity for me to play something that was unexpected. Cause I played the tough guy, the cool guy and guys that my friends would, you know, applaud me for playing. And this could be something that could, uh, you know, show me in a different light that was showing vulnerability and, you know, so it was uh, it was a bit of a risk, but I was willing to take that. I really wanted to commit as an actor and not worry about what everybody else thought. But that's a, that's a really good point because I remember being a loser in college and we rented showgirls, thinking like we were like being devious, we're like hey, you know, <laughs> Tim's got showgirls. He rented it. We're like, oh okay, we're going to shut it down for the rest of the day. <laughs> but you know, you can read something, you can be pitched something, you can hear this idea, and you go. And then it's falling apart, you know, and we're boogie nights. Like, I love that you just said that you go, this could be really good. How does yeah. it happen? How, how does it happen from the moment of like inception casting and everybody? Get, and then it just these these things can take two very divergent paths where one becomes praised and, and generational like boogie nights and other movies. You're like, look, it just didn't work. How does that happen? I mean, look, it really just comes down to execution, right? It's, it's, it's hard to get a movie made. Never mind how difficult it is to make a great movie. But I think you you start with the level of talent that it attracted him. Paul Thomas Anderson's script, his talent as a, as an actor, I mean, as a director, he had already made Hard Eight, uh, which was you know a small movie, but you definitely see greatness in it. And every, by the time I came on board, for me it was diff, it was weird because you know I'd already done the underwear thing and I'd done the Marky Mark thing, and it was like. I had been in rooms with other people where they like literally just were like, okay, now it's time to take the underwear off. And I was like, I'm not, you know, what is, what does that mean? But the, I read the first 30 pages of the script. I was like, Oh my God, this could be great. Or this could be terrible. And I don't know. Why does he want me? Does he think I can pull this part off? And then I met with him and then read the rest of the script. But you know, you had De Niro at one point attached to playing uh, Jack Horner. And then you had like Sidney Pollack and, it was just great people were always kind of hovering around. Sean Penn was attached to play the Alfred Molina role. It was always like really serious actors at one point or another flirting with playing various parts in the movie. So you knew it had potential. And then by that time, it was like, all right, we're going to take a swing. Let's just go for it. I had made another move with New Line uh, and they were they were uh, making the film. They were financing it. So it's like, let's just let's just take a swing. No pun intended. What were the scenes like with john c Riley, like they're my favorite scenes in the movie when you guys are losing your shit and you're yeah. you're doing the music and it's funny because you have a musical background so it's almost like you know dicaprio on purpose being bad and once upon a time in hollywood uh, uh -huh. some people some people think that that comp is a little too aggressive but you having to be so out of touch like what were those moments like because i think riley's is as malleable as anybody going right now yeah. um there has to be a funny story from that Oh gosh, there was there was many a funny story. I mean, every day we were just kind of we would shoot what was on the page, and then we were doing a lot of riffing. You know, there was lots of improvising. Like when we were at the studio, we were just like going nuts on Robert Downey Sr. And um, I, I mean, it was just Michael Penn who played the engineer. It was like just tons of riffing and us pretending that we were all whacked out on blow and. You know, and all the, like the documentary stuff, like I do an interview and and then John would be sitting there and be like, oh, my God, he's tearing it up. I got to really one up this guy. And but, uh, you know, we were always really kind of pushing each other and challenging each other. And Paul was encouraging us to be as crazy as possible, which was great. And it was crazy because Paul and I were both 25 at the time. 
And, you know, this, there was no real studio interference or anything. We were kind of just left to our own devices. And it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Those things right. were, were fantastic. Yeah. Last thing here. Um, have you felt like you've done everything you wanted to do? Absolutely not. I mean, there are days where I'm like, you know, I, I, the, the difficult thing is obviously the sacrifice that you make being away from your family, going off and being on location. Because most of the time, I love making movies and I think I, I'm, I'm uh, more excited about potential roles uh, in the future. But it's the sacrifice they have to make being away from home. So what I love to continue to do lots of great things. So I have really cool stuff in the pipeline that, that is really unexpected. Absolutely. Am I going to make some of those movies? Yes. Am I going to get to make all of them? I don't know. I just made a movie called Father Stew, which I think is the best movie that I've ever been in. Financed it myself. It's coming out on Good Friday. The trailer's out, actually. You should check it out. Um, and, you know, I actually financed the movie myself. Like The Fighter, it's a true story. I had to get it made, really push it up the hill. But, you know, those movies kind of reinvigorate my excitement and my drive and desire to do more as an actor and as a, as a producer so and a filmmaker. So I'm, uh, I'm as fired up as I've ever been. I'm as hungry as I've ever been. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, the best is yet to come. Uncharted, February 18th, Mark Wahlberg. Thanks, man. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's french fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a french fry from McDonald's. Unless you're eating my french fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. We've had a lot of people following up on the lost LeBrons and what to do. Uh, It was overwhelming that people were like, take the shoes. (laughs) <laughs> which which yes it's Rudy <laughs> jumps in i think that's just kind of where we're at uh and and again i i kind of knew the guy was going to take the shoes i hope he emails in and tells us what he did um and then we had a couple people chime in that they lost shoes somewhere so here's the thing as much as i enjoy any participation anybody that's engaged you know like hey let's let's get involved i don't know that we're going to pivot this part of the podcast to a lost and found so 
I could just see Simmons in a month going like, hey, are you doing anything different on the pod? I was looking at some of the numbers. I'd be like, yeah, well, actually, we, uh, we're not doing life advice anymore. We're just doing lost and found at the end. Trying to help people find their stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah. We just, <laughs> <laughs> just trying to pay it back. Pay it back. Just building a community here. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, I would, uh, I would stop doing that. Um, okay, so we have a couple that I want to get to. But off of the Van Pelt story stuff, and there were a couple people that were there that heard the uh, the recap of of some of the Van Pelt interactions, and they said you were you did a really nice job of 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 being nice about everything that was happening. Poor Van Pelt, poor guy. So um, I'm going to present this one <laughs> because then I had people a couple chime, and one guy in particular was like, I wanted because now guys are fascinated with the move of their open to somebody that is famous and how to handle it. So we get a lot of different people telling different stories about their interactions with famous people and they want a ruling on it. I don't know. Maybe that'll be a special. That could be a fixed baseball late July pod and and how to handle. You sound like you want to jump yeah. in here, Saruti. No, I, I would just love to hear the success stories if there are any. I mean, I don't know how we could tell if they're true or not. But like if you if you cold asked a famous person and struck up a conversation and it worked out and you guys hung out for a bit afterwards. I want to know about it. Well, there's a guy who apparently ran into me and he wanted to he wanted to know if he did a good job or if he did a bad job. All right. So, uh, hey, guys, five, seven, one, seventy short fit, decent sized. Oh, OK. He's talking about his dick. Cool. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we need that. You failed, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Failed. This is. <laughs> We definitely don't want that trend. Right? Ever. We don't. That's the only, if you do that now, we're not going to read the email. Um, so yeah, I'm the guy who bought Rosillo with Sam Adams during intermission to kill a mockingbird in New York City a couple years ago. I remember this. Part one of my question is about famous person etiquette. Again, I'm going to clarify to everybody, I know how little fame I actually have compared to people that are actually really famous because I've seen it and I've been with those people. So I, despite a healthy ego at times, I do think I keep myself in a, in a relative, I'm, I like to be on reality island with a lot of uh, the per perception that I have of myself. Okay. All right. I thought Saruti wanted to jump in, maybe add to that, but um, all right. Part one of the question is this. Ryan told a story on Monday's pod about people coming up to SVP after the Super Bowl and not passing the test. So I'm wondering how I handle our interaction at the play. Uh, I wanted to see To Kill a Mockingbird. Sorkin, I think, redid it. And then Jeff Daniels was in. It was terrific. Uh, I recognized Ryan instantly. He sat down next to me before the show started. I tried very hard not to react, overreact. I could hear my wife's voice in my head. Leave him the hell alone. He's just here to watch a play. Uh, was I by myself? Yes. When the first act was over, nice. I was going to grab a beer from the concession. I was there working. I think I was still doing get up. So I would just shoot up and I would try to do stuff on certain nights. Um, and considering you're getting up for get up, I'd be up so early. Does that make you more approachable if you're like obviously by yourself? It's like, wow, you mean God probably, doesn't even have anybody to go with? Like, probably not. Of course me. he needs a beer. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, probably not me. But and then it's also a play. If you're in the play, it's like dark, you know, unless you see me rolling in ahead of time or whatever. All right. So when the first act was over. I was going to grab a beer from the concession anyway, so I figured, what the hell? When will I get another chance to buy Ryan Rosillo a beer? I brought the beers back and handed one to Ryan, at which point it was now clear I knew who he was. I think you probably knew that ahead of time, but uh, I told him I was a big fan of the pod. We shot the shit over a beer for a few minutes about sports, uh, why he was in New York, and that he had seen Gruden downstairs in his way. And that's right, Gruden was at To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, Ryan couldn't have been nicer. Second start, 
uh, second act started, play ended. We started to shuffle out, made conversation, and that awkward, slow exit for like a second. I considered asking him if he wanted to grab a beer somewhere, quickly realizing there's no way he was likely to agree. I decided not to do that, and we went our separate ways. So that I, so that I do it right. Uh, if I didn't, what should I have done? And lastly, there's zero fucking chance Ryan would have taken me up on the beer offer, right? Um, there's another part of this, too, where he was caught in a real conundrum. He goes, not sure if Ryan remembers, but he was seated at the end of the row and my seat was right next to him. There were two empty seats to my right and then a woman by herself, Ryan, me, empty, empty woman. The seats were really small with very little leg room. And I thought of moving to my right to give us some more room when the show started, but you never know if people are going to arrive late, et cetera. But when intermission was over and the second act was about to start, these two seats were still empty. And so I moved one seat to my right and put an empty seat between me and Ryan. I remember this. It was awesome. I love that. That was my favorite part of the play. <laughs> About 10 minutes into the second act, the folks in the row behind me leaned forward and asked me to move back because I was now blocking their view. So I was faced with a choice. One, move back next to Ryan and have him wonder what the fuck my my story was. Two, move to the right uh, next to the woman and have her wonder what the fuck my story was. Or stay put, force those folks to just deal. I elected for option three so as not to weird out Ryan or the lady and instead just slid down a little bit in my seat to try to block their view less. It wasn't super comfortable but at least I didn't weird out my favorite podcast host or some random woman in the theater. What should I have done there? Well, I appreciate what you did. I didn't know you were dealing with... And by the way, if you're 5'7", and they were freaked out because now you're blocking your view, there's no way you were blocking their view. Like They were psyched that they had the two empty seats in front of them, not realizing that the people in the row have empty seat priority over the people behind you. And if it were a normal, full theater, because it was pretty packed, because it was a pretty big deal that this play was happening when it was happening, uh, you know, they, like what do they expect? So... I, I'm sorry you were uncomfortable. All right. So anyway, yeah, I remember this guy was really nice. Grabbed me a beer. That was it. Uh, There's pretty much no chance I was going to go out with a stranger. I don't think I went out with anybody that I was friends with because um, when it comes to get up, that's just the last thing you're going to do. I, I think I was there for get up because I used to go back and do get up, I don't know, once every few months, which was kind of fun because I like stay in the city for a week and then bounce and, and come back to LA or when I was still in Connecticut, I would come down. So yeah, I don't think there's a lot to add to this one. But yeah, I just wanted to let him know because he put so much time into this and he's still been thinking about it years later. Maybe this wasn't worth reading. I'm not sure now that I've read it out loud and spent this much time on it. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's a successful interaction, but it's not a successful like you guys hit it off and wanted to hang out afterwards. Like that's that's what I'm looking for. It's It would have been near impossible because I would have had to have wanted to do that. And I know that when I'm there during the week, I just, you know, I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. and talk about sports. I probably didn't want to stay up till 10 and talk about sports. So there you go. All right. Let's get to some of these. Guy has a moving away party. I love the efficiency of this email. 29, 175. Goofy athletic and could dunk before an ACL tear. That's awesome. I recently accepted a job that will have me moving multiple states away from the place I've lived for the last 10 years. I started telling my friends and naturally we're planning a going away party. But my friend who's organizing it makes uh, wants to make it a going away party and a meet and greet for his new girlfriend. They just became Facebook official last week. Context, this guy hasn't had a girlfriend. I've been in a relationship for a couple of years. Are people still doing Facebook official? I have no idea, bud. Um, that's the one I I cut I went off easy. I'm gonna work on my way to get rid of the other ones, but Facebook was an easy drop, so I don't know. So Rudy, what's yeah, your status right now? It's I don't, complicated. Uh, wife and I are both on Facebook. Not we don't have an official, you know, we're married kind of thing. I remember back in the day, people would like jokingly do that. I don't think anybody took it. If you did take it seriously, you were kind of like frowned upon. I thought it's complicated was hilarious. 
That was yep. my favorite one. It's like, what are you talking about? Why are you telling us? Yeah, why are you airing out the fact that you're having relationship problems? <laughs> it's complicated. It's complicated. It's one of the greatest technology improvements. Of, of, <laughs> like when I first was aware of what is, I'm like, wait, there's an option to say it's complicated. If you're thinking about these DMs, go ahead. Basically, like if you're thinking about it, you know, might <laughs> yeah, be. open to <laughs> open to other people. Yeah, but then if it were the 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 couple and both of them were like, it's complicated. It was a lot like, oh, you guys fight at happy hours in front of yeah. other people. <laughs> <laughs> you just changed this, didn't you? All right. All right. So well, what's weirder, though? What's weirder? It's complicated. They're like back in the day when you used to poke people like thinking like they, they got rid of that one pretty quickly. That was I think it's equal point. weird. I think it's equal weird. Yeah, because I would have pokes from like all the girls I had crushed on and also my aunt. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. what's this list? What is this list? <laughs> like, <laughs> How'd you guys meet? He poked me. Was, <laughs> and yeah. he wouldn't stop. Yeah, it was great. Just kept poking away. All right. Uh, here we go. <laughs> he was persistent. <laughs> yeah. Just, he, just, you know. Was there a way to reciprocate? Did you have to poke back? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah you, yeah, you had back. to. Oh, I yep. thought you had to. Yeah, I was very No, you could just leave it there. You could just leave it there, but you can't poke back. I got rid of it as soon as like somebody else commented on what I did and it was a girl. And then the person I was with was like, what the fuck? And I was like, I can't control this. I can't, I can't control. And then she was like, say something. I'm like, argue with somebody on the wall for saying something nice about me. <laughs> I was Sounds like, I'm like out. Have had, uh, Went to it's, it's complicated. complicated. Yeah. That's when you yeah. switch your relationship status. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so anyway, this guy is asking, is it weird that I'm annoyed that his friend who was going to throw him a going away party is hijacking, semi hijacking the going away party so that we can all meet his new girlfriend? My first thought is, why do you care? Like, who gives a shit, mm -hmm. man? Now, if I'm fair to the, the emailer here in the question, I do think that even those of us like, see, you know how there's that guy that like goes out of his way to make you know that he doesn't think anything is cool, right? Like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, oh, you come to the reunion? No, no way, you know. And but I think, I think people actually more people, more people than not, enjoy a time where they're the center of attention, and it's like, no, we're doing this going away. So I can, I can kind of understand, but as a guy, I don't think you're allowed to get that mad about it, and I definitely wouldn't say anything to him. So yeah, your feelings are okay, but like, what do you, what do you actually want to do? Do you want to tell him no? It's not about her, all right? Like she can, she's invited, but she can't be featured because I'm I'm the main attraction. Like, think she how weird this talk. is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you feature somebody like that? Do you just like excuse me before we get started, and then you like present her like a PowerPoint? Like I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, why can't it just be your going away party and then his new girlfriend is also there? I mean, it's probably weirder that your buddy who's hosting you the party was like, I'd like to kind of hybrid this deal and have this be an announcement to the community that I'm seeing somebody right now. So I get your annoyance. You know, I'm, I'm actually on the emailer side here a little bit, but I'm telling you, don't do anything. There's no there's no like, hey. Tell him this and then do this. No, I don't think that exists. I would just shut up about it and enjoy your party. Yeah, it sounds like your buddy uh, 
like he couldn't he can't throw a normal party to introduce everyone to his to his new girlfriend so he's like obviously using you to do that it is kind of a shitty thing to do i wouldn't personally care but it's not it's not quite at the level of like proposing at someone else's wedding it's not that like much of a dick move i don't know i think i think you just kind of let it slide and if it gets out of hand maybe say a word or two to him be like hey dude calm down this is my this is my event but like let it happen because if you don't let it happen then you're kind of a dick did you have a going away party sorting from ESPN? Because ESPN used to, when when somebody was going away, the ESPN going away party tour could be strong. You could be getting like a one good one a month, especially towards the end of my run there, because it felt like everybody was. But those were those are the kind of parties you're a little bit younger in the ESPN social community. You lived for those things. You're like, wait, yeah, what are we what are we doing? We going to Vert? You know. Yeah, we, we had a coo- little bar taco to, deal. We got a cuvee, maybe <laughs> little 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 drinks and dancing after. Yeah, we did the bar taco scene, couple drinks, couple bosses showed up. It was a good scene, but it was like the people that I would have wanted to be there. Like I, you know, I don't even know if I invited that many people. It was like the it was like it was like tight crew of like a dozen or so people. Did I'm you not go a to, big attention guy? I don't you, I don't want no, that kind of stuff. No, and I believe it with you. Did you go to mine across the street? Uh, no, I don't think nice. so. Did you go to yours, Ryan? <laughs> I, I feel le- like maybe you didn't even go. I don't know. I, I don't felt- remember you having one. Did you have one? No, no. What yeah. What happened was after the last show, they there were some people in the department that were like, "We'd like to take you for for dinner and drinks," and I was like, "Where?" Oh, at the Mexican place. Yeah, across the street. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is like that restaurant changed like a hundred times. Nothing ever stuck for like six months. It used to be a McDonald's. Yep. And so yep. I went in. And I probably was like, yeah, I'll do it right after work. And then I was like, I probably want to work out, though. And then I, I think I had a beer. And then I was like, all right, see you, see you guys. It was very anticlimactic. And I felt like some people showed up that maybe I didn't totally vibe with. It felt like they had to show up. And then I felt like I had. It. And the person who organized it, very, very sweet person. And she was really thoughtful of her. So I don't want to sound like a total dick. But it was not going to be like a crew. You weren't going to let it. You weren't going to let it be a thing. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't going to be like an all like, all right, we're doing it, folks. You know, I I just kind of like in my own like, hey, I'm out of here. <laughs> and by that point, most of my close friends were already gone anyway. At least ones that I would have gone out with. So I it wasn't going to happen. All right. Anything else on that, Kyle? You ever have a going away party? The only one I had was when I moved uh, out here to California and we got all the New York City kids, all the Poughkeepsie kids got in the middle of a field and just fucking got after it. <laughs> it was great. It was just so, it was so good. They never, they never, they were like seeing deer. They're like, what the fuck was that? Uh, but they were, uh, it was great. It was a good time. All right. That I think was there's still a couple beers from that, like in my, in the deep recesses of my mom's garage fridge from like 2016. A couple keystones. I'll tell you a, 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 of like a field party post college or post high school. That was like always the like go to a parking lot somewhere and have a couple beers. Like, I don't think I ever did that post age 21. Kyle, were you guys in the field being like, I can't believe you're going to take over L.A.? <laughs> like, no, what? they were like, uh, I think they were like, well, when am I going to come see you? I was like, buddy, I'm moving in with a girl who needs a roommate right now. I'm worried about how that's going to go. I don't think I don't think you uh, I don't think you're allowed to tag along for at least a year, pal. So, um, you, were, you were letting guys know immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty five, six foot three thirty athlete. Yeah, you are. Uh, during a recent road trip, I got my fiance into your show by listening to old life advice segments. Thank you. 
During one of those segments about a guy's insecurity with dating taller women, my fiance tells me that when we take our engagement photos, she wants me to wear special shoes <laughs> or shoe inserts to make me appear taller than her in the photos. As previously oh, stated, I'm six foot tall and she is 5'11". Before the final words left her mouth, I refused, stating that I was already taller than her at six feet, to which she replied, I don't believe you. Two years into this relationship, she was questioning if I was actually six feet tall. Hey, man, I know the feeling. As soon as we got home, um, my back was to the wall of a door frame. She measured me five feet, 11 inches, and one half, no shoes. I explained that you always round up. <laughs> and that I almost always wear shoes. I'm six foot tall walking around. Bro, you're way over six foot tall in shoes. <laughs> you're like Jack Reacher. Just towering Oops, over Give me people. a break. Have you guys watched Reacher yet? No. No. The movie? No. Yeah. The TV show on Amazon. Oh, no. The guy's tall. They make tall references like he can fly. Like he's the only person that's ever been, and he's six foot five. Somebody goes, "Oh, he's six foot four. He's like six foot five. And then there's this other scene where they they he's checking into jail, and they're like, "We don't have anything that'll fit you except a circus tent." And it's like, dude, he's just a pretty big jack guy, like, and he is. Wait, is this one with Tom Cruise? No, there's a there's an Amazon series that's out. Oh. Here's yeah, the but plot. wasn't it Krasinski? Wasn't it Krasinski first, or was that a different guy? No, no Tom Glancy. That was uh, Krasinski's yeah, tall too. That? No, that's Jack Ryan. Oh, Jack sorry. Ryan. Yes, sorry. Yes, I can't believe show. I answered that one right. Sorry. Uh, he's tall, too. But no, this this Reacher show, which I'm sort of just enjoying because it's, I don't know, it's just a decent watch and I'm checking it out. The plot line is kind of like, Reacher, did you kill those people? No. Did you? Yes. Are you going to stop killing people? No. Are you? Probably not. <laughs> Reacher, you need to stop killing everybody. Okay, I promise. Do you? No. There you go. There you go. Okay, so and scene and scene, um, but it's a fun That's watch. A pretty I'm great not, review. Yeah, yeah I'm not, I'm saying watch it. I'm saying watch it, but just you know, it's not the wire. All right, let's uh, let's get that out of the way. But yeah, he's six five in the show. Apparently, he's six two in real life, and he's huge. I mean, he's kicking dudes' asses left and right. Don't get me wrong, but the way they talk about his height in that show, you would think there's never anybody who's been walking around that's ever been 6'5 in the history of people. All right, back to our guy. He's rounding up. He's six foot tall walking around. We're saying you're way over that in shoes. She measured five foot 10 inches. So wait, who's lying now? All right. Um, now, I don't feel like I'm insecure about my height. You shouldn't be, by the way. But I'm also aware that if I was an inch shorter, I would have never gotten a first date with my soon-to-be wife. But I'm not interested in wearing moon boots to our engagement photos so she can wear heels. I told her that she's the abnormally tall one. <laughs> <laughs> nice, dude. Uh, no. Fire back. <laughs> and that I want to wear my normal dress shoes, which have a little bit of heel anyway. <laughs> we can't agree. So we want to let the life advice crew settle it. The shoot is on St. Patty's Day. Your thoughts. All right. Oof. Just wear whatever she wants you to wear. It's the engagement photos. I that's what I would do. I I love everything you said. I'm happy for you. It's not like she's asking you to wear inserts or lifts the rest of your life. It's just for the engagement photos. She wants you to be taller than her. Do you want to be shorter than your wife in the engagement photos? Now again, some people chime in. What's wrong with that? A ton is wrong with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not really, but 
I, I think if I think if we all had a choice, if we all had a choice, but you do want to be taller than your wife in the engagement pictures, I just don't know how many people are checking the no box. I think it's a low number, if I'm just guessing. So if she's going to wear heels, like this is just a picture. These are for her. What are you sending them to your buddies? <laughs> you Wild size. Right. It's going to be in your house and then she's going to make a ton. You're going to pay for a ton that you're never, ever going to use. And then maybe you use it for the save the date or whatever. I, I don't, I would just give in on this one. There's going to be so many other fights that you're going to get into when you're married. Just concede this one. And you, you know what? Maybe it's a chip later on, you know, when you decide to do an addition by yourself to save money. And she's like, I don't like that idea. And he goes, Hey, I wore your moon boots for the engagement photos. Hold it over her head yeah, forever. Forever. <laughs> So that's what I think. I think she just did you a favor. So Rudy? I think aren't there I think there's a compromise here. You can wear the shoes you want, and they make those like gel insoles that add like an inch to you that you could put in regular shoes. So just wear those. And I actually think she's kind of right, even if she's being a little bit of a dick about it. Like, do you want to be shorter than her in these pictures too? Think about that. Like you, everyone's gonna see this. And what what's the first thing they're gonna say? Oh my God, she's taller than him. That's is that weird? And I'm not saying it is weird because we just talked about that, but I think you're actually doing yourself a favor if you just do the insole thing, wear the shoes you want to do, then you're an inch taller than her, and then you're, and then everything's fine. Everybody's happy. The other problem is because you're 330, people don't realize how tall you are, right? If you were, it's just the way it works. Um, you know, when you're, when you're thinner, you look taller, and you're a thick dude, but you're an athlete as well. But I, maybe the bigger issue is that she never believed him, and they had to go home immediately and check the tape. And I, I don't mean, have a problem. She's he's technically 5'11... right, though. Oh, Saruti. Come on. I, I, I know you and do, half, I know you do round up. I know you do round up. And But his thing of like, unless you're a basketball player or like at the NFL Combine, no, you're, you don't get measured in shoes. Like, I know my height not with shoes. I'm 5'10". I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a true 5'10". I don't round up. Um, I don't round up to 5'11". I'm 5'10". Uh, but I don't also put on like, you know, like, a player of Clarks to add an inch to my height and say I'm 5'11". I, I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that's fair. When I was at ESPN Radio in the early days, I had never met more guys that claimed six feet that weren't. Now, Greeny, Golick, tall guys. Cowherd's tall. I'm all right. Van Pelt's tall. But then there were other guys that were definitely not tall that were like, yeah, I'm six feet. And I was like, eh, I think you're in that, that 5'10 range. But I'm not marrying any of those guys, and I'm not standing next to him in an engagement photo. So none of that's even that relevant. I think him saying five and 11 and a half going to six feet, I think that's fine. Uh, but that might be the bigger issue. That might be the bigger issue. You could always claim shrinkage, too. Yeah. Squats. Like it's got a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on my uh, my tailbone and spine. And, you know, we'll get it worked out one day. But for right now, it's, it's uh, five, 11 and a half. So what did we rule here? What were the votes? I say just do it. Get it over with. So I think you do, do it, it, too. Yeah. Uh, my initial thing was going to be no, but you talked me into it. Yeah, that's fine. It's one time. Yeah, there are better fights. There are better fights, as we say often. Okay, hope you enjoyed that. Please subscribe. Ryan Russillo Podcast, Spotify Ringer. Thanks to Steve and Kyle. Back on Friday. <laughs>